We're going to be reading from Jonah 1, 17 to 2, 10. And Jonah appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the blood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. At the roots of the mountains, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yes, you brought my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Amen. How low can you go? Or you could ask, how low can you go? You know, it's, it's a fun question to ask when you're doing the limbo. It's not a fun question to ask when it comes to our sin. And when it comes to Jonah in today's passage, he's gone just about as low as he could go. You know, remember that this book opened up with the word of the Lord coming to Jonah, who was a Hebrew prophet, and he was told to go to Nineveh, which is the capital of Assyria. And Assyria, they're the hated enemies of the Hebrews. It was a place to be well-known, filled with evil and violence and depravity. And the Lord comes to Jonah and says, Hey, Jonah, go to Nineveh and warn them of a coming judgment on evil. And Jonah heard the word of the Lord, and he went in the opposite direction. He sinfully disobeyed and went in the opposite direction. He traveled to Joppa. He boarded a boat towards Tarshish, which was the other side of the known world. And according to Jonah 1.3, his goal was to flee from the presence of the Lord. And so as we heard last week, the Lord sent a storm upon Jonah and his ship. In chapter 1, verse 12, Jonah told the sailor, and the, the sailors were terrified and asked, what do we do? And Jonah told the sailors in chapter 1, verse 12, Pick me up, hurl me into the sea, and then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it's because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. And we find that reluctantly, the sailors complied with his request. The storm stops, and the sailors are saved. And then chapter 1, verse 17, which was the first one that Rich just read for us, says, The Lord appointed a great fish, to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Finally, we're to the fish. Because, you know, Sunday school and popular culture has drilled into us, I say Jonah, you say fish. Jonah, 
No. No, no, because the fish is actually not a big deal in the story. We've made it into a big deal. Our Sunday school classes make it into a big deal. The, the culture makes it into a big deal. But the fact is this really big fish actually plays an itty-bitty part in the whole story of Jonah. In the book of Jonah, the fish is only mentioned in three verses, and the fish is only doing something in two of the verses. The truth is that all the swallowing and the vomiting and Jonah's accommodations, they're really kind of understated. In the end, the big fish is actually not a big deal. Yet, big fish, I mean, big fish might be the first thing that you and I think of when we hear about Jonah, but this story is not all about the, ba- the bass, all about the bass, no tuna. All right, so some of you got that, and the rest of you are just moaning. The big fish is not the point of the story. But since it distracts us so much, let's talk about the big fish, and you'll find it's nothing more than a red herring. Uh, i got a million of them today. Now, some people have said that Jonah's story is kind of like one of Aesop's fables. It's true in the sense that it conveys the truth, but maybe it's not true in the sense that it actually happened. I mean, really, could a large fish actually eat a person whole? And could that person survive for three days inside the fish's stomach? I mean, really, the story's kind of hard to swallow. I was really looking forward to this one for so long. You know, in order to prove the truthfulness of the account, some people have appealed to the account of a, a sailor by the names of James, James Bartley. He was a sailor on a whaling ship in the Star of the East in the vicinity of the Falkland Islands. And when in pursuit of a particularly vigorous whale, the story is told that this man, Bartley, and another crew member were thrown into the water. The other crew member drowned, but Bartley disappeared. However, the whale they were pursuing was captured. And then this article from June 1891, the June 1891 edition of the Yarmouth Mercury reports that three days later, as the whale was being cut apart, Something was discovered in the stomach that seemed to be making signs of life. And when they cut the stomach open, there was the sailor James Bartley spilled out, alive but unconscious, skin and hair bleached white by the whale's gastric juices. And we really want that account to be true. And a lot of people appeal to that account when they talk about Jonah. Sadly, it's been thoroughly researched, and it's proved that Neither was this account, nor was the man, Bartley himself, true. It was really just a big fish tale. But what about the original? Let's ask about the original. Was the story of Jonah just the biggest fish story that's ever been told? Well, let's consider the evidence. First of all, we know Jonah was not just a made-up character. He was a real person. When we began our study a couple weeks ago, we noticed that Jonah, son of Amittai, was a real historical figure whom we meet in the pages of the historical book of 2 Kings. In 2 Kings chapter 14, verse 25, we read that Jonah prophesied to the historical king Jeroboam, the king of Israel. He was a historical figure, a real person. So Jonah himself was a real historical figure. But what about this call to Nineveh and his ride in a fish's belly? Was that also historical, or is that just mere fantasy? Well, consider that Jesus himself spoke of Jonah and his ordeal as if he was a real historical figure and as if his ordeal was true. 
in Matthew chapter 12, verses 39 through 41, Jesus is teaching and he says, This generation asks for a sign, but no sign will be given except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, because they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Now, I don't know if you caught it, but Jesus is referring to this story of Jonah and the repentance of Nineveh as if it actually happened. In fact, if the Ninevites and their repentance that was brought on by Jonah's preaching was not true, then the point Jesus is trying to make is moot. Because essentially then what Jesus would have been saying here is, hey, you real people that are listening to me, there's going to be a real judgment, and at the real judgment, these imaginary people, the Ninevites, will rise up against all of you real people and condemn you because they imaginarily repented. The imaginary people are going to condemn you real people? No, Jesus' point makes no sense at all if he thought this was just a made-up story. If he thought this was just a parable or a fable. And more than that, Jesus goes on in the very next verse, in verse 42, to tell another story. The Queen of the South will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, because she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, something greater than Solomon is here. So right after reporting on Jonah and his trip to Nineveh and their repentance, he goes, and then another historical account that should convince you, this happened in 1 Kings chapter 10, verse 1. First Kings chapter 10, verse 1 says, The queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, came to test him with hard questions. So Jesus' whole point here is he's speaking to these people and he goes, Hey guys, at the judgment, these other real people who are part of history, when they heard, they repented and turned to the Lord. You right now are hearing something even greater than what they heard. Will you repent and turn to the Lord? These real people in real history heard and turned. But will you? Jesus refers to Jonah the fish, the Ninevites, the repentance, and the Queen of Sheba as if these were all real and historical facts. There seems little doubt that Jesus and his contemporaries considered that the story of Jonah was real historical truth. So we might ask ourselves, why would we question that today? You know, we might question it today because to the sensibilities of many today, this story seems a little fishy. It actually seems a big fishy. The question that we tend to choke on is, could a large fish swallow a person and could that person survive? And we do find that the Smithsonian Magazine and many other journals have performed investigations into the plausibility of being swallowed and surviving in the belly of a large fish. Now, please note that nowhere in the text does it say it's a whale. You know, popular culture in our Sunday school classes, we often say whale, but it just simply says here, big fish. And so the bottom line is that while being swallowed by certain big fish is scientifically plausible, the likelihood of surviving 36 hours with questionable access to oxygen is what gives many skeptics indigestion. However, friends, ultimately, what our skepticism shows more than anything is our anti-supernatural bias. 
Because think about it. Think about what we've already experienced as part of this story. Do we believe that there's a God who can supernaturally start and stop storms? Do we believe that there's a God who can supernaturally orchestrate the arrival of a large ocean creature? You know, are we too sophisticated then to believe that he could then supernaturally sustain Jonah in the fish's belly? I mean, more than that, church, at the very center of our faith is a supernatural claim. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. At the very center of our faith is the account of God himself becoming man. A man who was brutally killed on a in a cold stone tomb and three days later supernaturally raised to life again. And so if you, church, believe in the power of God to resurrect from the dead, believing the supernatural power of God to keep Jonah from dying is really pretty little. Often those who struggle to believe the truthfulness or the historicity of this account are those who've already begun with an anti-supernatural bias. I mean, if you approach this story or approach the Bible with the assumption that God does not intervene supernaturally in the events of human history, then of course you're going to reject Jonah. You're also going to reject the accounts of Jesus' miraculous healings, the narratives over God's power over nature, and ultimately, the resurrection. But if we begin with an open mind and put aside any anti-supernatural bias, what reason would we have to reject the truthfulness and the historicity of Jonah's account. Now, after all, friends, as we said, this big fish is really just an itty-bitty part of the story. So now, having talked about the fish, let's move on to the big part of the story. The fish is not the big deal. The big deal in this story is God's big grace. So let's go back to the opening question. How low can you go? How low can you go? How low can Jonah go? You know, this entire narrative, I don't know if you've noticed it, but as we've read through it, it has had Jonah going down. Chapter 1, verse 3, he went down to Joppa. Chapter 1, verse 3, he paid the fare and went down into the ship. Chapter 1, verse 5, Jonah has gone down into the inner part of the ship. And in today's passage, we hear Jonah continuing his downward descent. Chapter 2, verse 3, he went down into the heart of the seas. Chapter 2, verse 5, the deep surrounded me. Chapter 2, verse 5, he was at the roots of the mountains. And so far down did Jonah go, it says he almost went down to the doors of death itself. Chapter 2, verse 2, out of the belly of Sheol, which was the Hebrew word for the grave, I cried. Chapter 2, verse 6, out down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever, the pit, the place of the dead. How low can you go? Jonah couldn't go much lower. Jonah had hit bottom, literally both the bottom of the earth and the lowest point of his rebellion. His sin has literally brought him so low, he says, I'm outside a death's door. And friends, isn't that true? Isn't it true that it's often not until we hit bottom that we finally discover the depths of God's grace? It wasn't until Jonah had gone so low and so deep that he discovered God's grace, which is deeper still. You know, the first of the 12 steps is always the hardest step. We admitted we were powerless, that our lives had become unmanageable. Because we're reluctant to admit our powerlessness and our need. We're unwilling to admit our wrong. We're, we're 
we often see just how low we can go, and we have to hit bottom before we give up our self-sufficiency. And before, like Jonah, we discover the true depths of God's grace. You know, some authors have called this God's severe mercy. In His mercy, God will let us go low. He'll let us sink into the sea of chaos, drown in the oceans of our sin, hit the bottom, the very roots of our mountains, the very belly of the grave, because only then often will we reach out to Him and find His mercy. And I know there are some of you here today or some of you that are with us online who share the testimony of Jonah. It was not until you found yourself in the belly of addiction or drowning in oceans of debt or crushed by waves of failure or isolated in the darkness of shame and regret with relationships broken and damage done and hope gone. It wasn't until you had gone as low as you could go and hit bottom that you discovered God's love. Because friends, the gospel, the good news, is that God's love is deeper still. And maybe God has brought some of you here today because you're in the process of sinking down. Maybe some of you are here today ready to stay with Jonah, as he said in verses 5 and 6, the waters have closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds have wrapped around my head. At the roots of the mountains, I am down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. And friends, if you are here today and that's how you're feeling, if you've gone as low as you can go, then what should you do? Well, what did Jonah do? Friends, notice. Notice that in this account today, we're about halfway through the book of Jonah. And for the first time, we finally hear the prophet pray. It's not until his sin has sunk him to the very bottom, it's not until Jonah is as low as he can go that he cries out for God's mercy. From the depths of his sin, from the depths of his rebellion, from the depths of the sea, from the deep gates of death, Jonah cries out for a grace that is deeper still. And friends, this is the gospel. This is the good news. As deep as is our sin and rebellion, God's love for you is deeper still. As deep as your sin, God's grace to you is deeper still. Pastor Tim Keller of Redeemer Presbyterian Church has summarized the gospel saying, the power of the gospel comes in two movements. First, it says, I am more sinful and flawed than I ever dared believe. But then quickly follows with, I am more accepted and loved than I ever dared to hope. The bad news is I am more sinful and flawed than I ever dared believe. The gospel, the good news is I am more accepted and loved than I ever dared hope. The bad news is my sin is deeper and it's taken me lower than I ever thought I could go. But God's grace is deeper still and it will lift you higher than you ever dared hope it would. The gospel is what we sang. My sins, they are many, but his mercy is more. My sins, they are deep and have taken me down, but His love and His grace are deeper still. My sins have sunk me deeper. They've separated me further. They've damaged others greater. They've brought me closer to death than I ever wanted to believe they would. But God's grace is deeper still. Friends, do you hear that? That's the gospel. God's grace is deeper 
still. Your sins may have pulled you down to the depths, to the very gates of death, but God's grace is deeper still, and His salvation can and does still reach to you and to me. And Jonah makes a statement from the belly of the whale, from the depths of the sea, from the very gates of death. And this statement, this statement is said by some theologians to be a summary of all Scripture. A statement that he made from the belly of the whale is said to be a summary of all of the Scripture. Chapter 2, verse 9. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Salvation belongs to the Lord. This is the very truth that we celebrated that we just sang together, isn't it? Salvation belongs to our God who sits upon the throne. Salvation belongs to Him. It belongs not to Jonah. Jonah's in the belly of the whale. He's hopeless in the belly of the fish. He's a dead man in the depths of the sea by the gates of death unless salvation comes down and reaches for him. Salvation does not belong to Jonah. And we hear Jonah pray in verse 8 about those who pay regard to vain idols and forsake their hope of steadfast love. Friends, every idol is an attempt to save ourselves. You see, an idol could be my own goodness. If I'm good enough, I'll be saved. An idol could be my possessions. If I have enough, I'll be saved. An idol could be my power. If, I'm, if I am enough, I'll be saved. It could be my success. If I achieve enough, I'll be saved. It could be sex. If I'm desirable enough, I will be saved. The idol of self-expression. If I'm true to myself, I will be saved. The idol of religion. If I'm devout enough, I will be saved. No. Jonah says, no, salvation can't come from our idols, from the work of our hands. Jonah says, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope in the steadfast love of the Lord. The Hebrew word for steadfast love is the Hebrew word has said. The King James Version translates it as loving kindness, God's covenant love for his people. It's God's never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love for his people. A love that is deeper than our sin. A love that is stronger than our rebellion. A love that saves the undeserving and the rebellious. If salvation comes, it will not be because of Jonah. It will not be because of his actions. It will not be because of his deserving. If salvation comes, it belongs not to Jonah. It belongs to the steadfast love of the Lord. And friends, you and I, you and I stand in the exact same predicament today. We are hopeless in the belly of our addictions and our rebellion, drowning in the depth of our sins, standing just outside the gates of death waiting to be admitted unless salvation comes for us. And friends, the gospel, the good news is that salvation has come for us. Salvation belongs not to us and to our earning. Salvation belongs to our God. And because of his steadfast love, God has come for us. And so the question gets applied to God now. How low could we go? Friends, how low will God go to save us? Not that long ago, we were studying the letter to the Philippians. And in Philippians chapter 2, we find a hymn of praise to Jesus for how low he went to save us. Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 8 says, Although Jesus was in the form of God, he didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. In being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus went low 
He took on our flesh. Then he went lower. He humbled himself to death. And then Jesus went lower, entering into the very depths of our sin and our death, all that he might rescue us from them. For on the third day, Jesus rose again from the depths, victorious over sin and death, and he has brought with him all who trust in him. We had gone low. So how low would Jesus go? He went into the depths of our sin, our punishment, and our death. And from there, friends, He has come to rescue us and bring us back to life. This is the gospel. This is the good news. How low did we go in our sin? Deeper than we want to believe. And so how low did Christ go to save us? Deeper than we ever dared hope he would. Our sin is deep, but God's grace is deeper still. And salvation belongs to our God. And friends, maybe some of you here, maybe some of you who've logged on online, maybe God brought you here today just to hear this message of grace. Maybe for the first time, or maybe just this time you're hearing it and it makes sense and it's moving you. Friends, don't leave without responding. Don't leave here today continuing to drown or continuing clinging to idols in the hope that they might make you buoyant enough to bring you back to the surface. Don't leave here today and continue trusting your own ability to hold your breath or to swim. Salvation belongs to our God, and His grace is deeper than your sin. Don't leave here today without talking to me or one of the other leaders whom you've seen up front today, for we would love for you to know the deep, deep love of Jesus Christ. And church, if you're here today and you're currently being pulled down by sin, if you're here today and you're just kind of barely still treading water, confess your sin and be free. Experience the buoyancy of His grace. His grace to forgive you. His love to lift you. Because salvation belongs to our God. And church, more than that, let's never become like Jonah. Because one thing you need to note about Jonah's psalm of praise from the belly of the fish, if you look closely at what what Rich read for us, Jonah's theology is all right, but his heart is all wrong. His theology is all right, but his heart remains wrong. Notice that Jonah prays for himself. He's grateful for his salvation, but there's no thought given to the sailors he endangered. There's no consideration in his prayer given to the Ninevites from whom he flees. Jonah is thankful for his salvation. He's unconcerned about their salvation. Ultimately, Jonah's theology is right, but his heart remains wrong. And what about our theology, church? What about our hearts? Because we see salvation comes to Jonah. The big fish vomits Jonah on the beach. And it's probably a little bit of commentary on Jonah's self-centered theology. It made the big fish and God a little bit sick. And church, could the same be true of us? Could we have all the right words, praises, and theologies, but hearts that remain small and self-centered and self-concerned, like Jonah's did. Church, let our hearts be broken for those who don't know Christ. Let our hearts be broken for those who are drowning in sin, trapped in the depths of addiction, deluded by the lies of this age. Yes, they brought it on themselves, but so did we. Yes, they don't deserve, but neither did we. Yes, they seem too far down, but so were we. Yes, they are in it deep, but His grace is deeper still. 
Church, pray that your heart might be broken and burdened, that our worship would not devolve into self-centered, self-concerned praises for what He's done for me, 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 with no concern for them. Church, let our heart not become like Jonas. May our hearts become like Christ. How low did Christ go that we might be saved? How much did he endure? How great was his suffering? How immense his sacrifice? How deep his grace? Church, how low will you go for the sake of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ? And asking that, let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you, first of all, for what you have done, that your grace is deeper still that our sins, they are many, but your mercies more. Thank you for how deep is your love. But Lord, help us never to become like Jonah, self-centered and self-concerned. But may your love cause our hearts to swell. May your concern for others become our concern. May your love for them become our love. And may your grace for them spill forth from us until the world knows of you, the gracious God, whose deep, deep love and deep, deep grace are deeper than all of our sins. And we praise you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.